Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Here's your host, Tyler Wagner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Authors Unite Show. Today, I got Dana Stahl with us. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tyler. Looking forward to being here. Of course. Grateful to have you here. So can you kick us off? Tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. Absolutely. Um, My name is Dana Stahl, as you said, and I am an educational consultant and learning specialist. Uh, I have a practice titled um, Educational Alternatives, and it focuses on educational advice, advocacy, and school placement for families. I come to the field of education through having uh, learning disabilities as a child and understanding um, the necessity that parents and children feel in wanting to obtain the help that they need and the various blocks, uh, roadblocks that um, stifle their search. And what I've done in the last few years is to create um, a book titled The ABCs of Learning Issues, which is a practical guide for parents and professionals that explores 24 of the most common learning issues in a way that is user-friendly and approachable. And it is my hope that through this book, The ABCs of Learning Issues, that both parents and professionals learn how to identify and rectify um, various learning issues and work collaboratively together to develop effective teachings that will help the students to reach their full potential. Mm, I love it. Th- thank you uh, so much for that. I have like seven questions in my head. <laughs> so let's, um, uh, I think there's no better time for this. So let's actually, let's start at the beginning though. So you said when you were younger, you had a few like learning disorders. Is that what you said? Actually, I was dyslexic. And okay. the, um, the term dyslexia was coined in 1963. And I entered first grade in 1966. And they had no idea what to do with me. Now, learning disabled children are very bright, competent, and capable. But the discrepancy between their performance and their potential is quite apparent uh, because of the learning issue. And with me in 1966, I was in a first grade class where there were straight rows of chairs and, and the teacher was at the front and we were reading Dick and Jane and I was clever and I could see that, you know, Dick ran after the ball and, and Spot was having fun running after the ball and I could participate in answering questions, but I could not read. And then one day the the map of the United States was given in a puzzle form to each of us. And I could put in Kansas and Florida and California and Maine. and, And I didn't understand how did my classmates know what to do with this puzzle? And how could they read the directions on the math sheet? And I kept getting so frustrated and I needed breaks, so I would go to the nurse. I'd go to the nurse with great frequency. And one day, the nurse said to me, does your mommy and daddy fight? Do you get along well with your sister? And 
I don't know where I had the courage or the self-advocacy skills at age seven to respond. This has nothing to do with my family. I am not learning the way my friends are. And so started a journey of really trying to figure out how to learn and be a competent student alongside my peers. Mm. So that leads me to the next one is like, how, how would a parent know if his or her child like did have a behavioral uh, issue so that they can you know, get the child help as soon as possible? Well, for first-time parents, it's very difficult because they don't have a barometer in which to really understand is the development that I'm seeing, are my observations in line with something that may be wrong? But for those first-time parents, I say, go look at your friends, your neighbors, your nieces, your nephews, your pediatricians. Ask your daycare providers, your preschool teachers, what are their observations? And if your observations are in line with their observations, it's time to turn and seek help. Parents are their children's best advocates. And if indeed they find and are observing something not to be right, chances are their gut feeling is correct. Mm. So, so obviously right now we're going through, you know, it's a crazy time during the recording of this with COVID-19. So a lot of parents, uh, you know, they weren't expecting this. Obviously nobody was, but now the, the a lot of the kids are at home. So I guess it's, you know, everybody's homeschooling, I suppose, right now uh, in some way, or, you know, they're doing online with schools. Do you have any tips for like methods or anything that parents can do to like help their kids, especially now because it's such a, Kind of, it's very relevant to what's going on right now. Absolutely. Parents have a difficult enough role being parents, but now we're asking parents to be educators, uh, activity coordinators, and playmates, as well as educators. And the task is daunting. And for these parents, I say that learning can be meaningful at home in ways that are not pen and paper activities that are done in school for reading, writing, and math. There are activities, both structured and unstructured at home, from baking and cooking, to playing games, to doing puzzles, to understand where curricular specifications can be followed through and skill set development can ensue. Uh, if we look at even playing chess and checkers, deductive reasoning, inferential thinking, working memory, time management and organization, as well as visual spatial clues, skills can be developed. And this bans across all kinds of activities, uh, including even um, video games, which professionals tend not to want to promote screen time, but these video games and programs can also help to increase eye-hand coordination, visual motor integration, sustained attention, interactive learning, and content acquisition of specific topics. It is amazing how many teachable moments can occur within the home where parents can make learning meaningful. Mm. 
So uh, to, to dial back again real quick, just so people are aware, what are, can you tell us what are some of the more like common learning issues? And, and you know, so, so then we kind of know a, a foundation, a base of what these kind of are. There are five uh, learning uh, common issues that are most known from dyslexia to um, dysgraphia and uh, ADHD, attention issues, uh, some children experience anxiety issues. Uh, these learning issues that are um, prevalent really transcend not only reading, writing, and math, but also with how do we process information or remember it. And all these common learning issues make an impact on how are we going to assimilate the information that is being presented at school, process it, and then turn it around so that we have appropriate and meaningful responses. Mm. And what, what's like a good age for kids to be tested? Uh, that that is varies from individual to individual and depending upon what we're looking for. Remember that under the um, under IECA, under the Indivisibility Disabilities Act, there are 13 specific learning, there's 13 specific disabilities that stem from hearing and seeing to physical disabilities to cognitive impairment. And indeed, it would depend upon what are we trying to define um, at, and at what age we will be searching it. Uh, however, with learning issues, which is my area, uh, learning issues tend to come about during school-based um, ages, from three on. And therefore, uh, it's a collaborative um, effort that needs to happen between the home and the school so that everyone can be on the same page. You don't go directly to testing. First, there has to be measured observations that people are in agreement from the school to the home that they are observing and then an assessment uh, or various assessments can be made to determine what needs to be done or what are we looking at. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this because uh, another way I think that schools could really like enhance, um, I guess, the outcome for the student is to potentially, and I know it might be difficult, so that's why I'm curious if you have any ideas on it, is how to tailor it more to each individual student. Because, you know, from my experience, right, like, and again, you have to learn the basics, right? Like the ABCs, like you have to learn that. But then once you start to get, I even think middle school, high school, you, you do start to show signs of like your personality, maybe even before that, really. So... Uh you know, like I think um, instead of having everybody go through like a uniform system, it might be beneficial to start um, like really dialing in and being like, okay, this child is only 10 years old, but he's very outgoing, loves people, very funny. And like this other child happens to be very good at math at 10 years old, Wait, you know, and like maybe start to help them go down a path that they, I don't know, you, do you know what I mean? 
I think that what you're, are you referring to um, being sensitive and aware of the children's strengths as well as their vulnerabilities and to help direct them as to what can they do to help compensate for areas that they find difficult because they can draw upon their strengths of where they are really excel? A hundred percent. And the reason is too, is because I think a lot of times I'm speaking to my experience like when I went to school, the whole goal was to like get good grades to get to college, right? And it, it, the goal, at least the, that I was like, uh, what was put on me, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to act like a victim. I'm just saying like what was presented to me was not, hey, try to discover what you like to do. Try to discover what you're good at. It was more like get good grades so that you have a high enough GPA to get into a good college. I think what you're touching upon is, is crucial. Mm -hmm. Tyler, what you're touching upon is crucial because it, um, children need to understand not only their strengths and their vulnerability, but to um, have a vision as to where do they want to go? What do they want to do? Uh, it's almost as important to know what it is you do not want as yep. it is to know what it is you do. So you can narrow it down. And these field placements uh, in high school and college and summer internships, they all help to uh, narrow the scope of what is it that interests me and, and how can I direct myself in a more positive path to meet the end goal. And I think that what you're touching upon is very important. And uh, to those high school students where their GPA is not going to catapult them into a uh, college or post-secondary environment, uh, counter to some of their peers, I say to them, find your areas of interest, photography, cooking, whatever it is, uh, gardening, and go ahead and foster that skill set and document it so that there is um, a history of your commitment and dedication to your area of interest and then go find the post-secondary school that can foster the development that speaks to you. Mm, I love that. All right. We're on the same page. This is getting fun now. Okay. So um, I do want to, I just don't want to forget this. So I want to touch on improving a child's reading rate. Um, as you know, this is the Authors Unite show and I, I am a heavy advocate for books. I read multiple per week. So can you share some tips on that? Because it's so important. Absolutely. The reading rate is, uh, is, is it specifically how many words per minute can the child read? And of course, uh, the reading rate is the speed at which a person reads a written text during a specific time. And of course, the older we get and the more um, reading that is required for us, um, the stronger we are in reading quickly. Mm -hmm. the more helpful it's going to be. So um, strategies that can, um, that can help at home um, for those children who have difficulty with reading and want to improve is that they can use books on, on tape and audiobooks to um, listen to as they're following along in the book. And they will find that as they are listening and seeing 
the words on the page, that they increase it because it's a way of your mind to hear it as a conversation and not just words on a text. And in conversation, we speak so much more quickly than we read. So this is a way to help to increase um, uh, reading rate. Uh, also, to increase your reading rate, you read books and uh, material, magazines and comic books and things that are at a lower rate um, than where your reading level is so that you can do it more quickly and enthusiastically and with expression and that too helps to increase reading rate. Mm. Yeah, I'm a huge audiobook guy. Audiobooks change the game for me. Audiobooks are amazing. They really are. Oh, I love them. Um, so uh, this caught my attention too. Tell us more about the 504 plan. I've never actually heard of it. Okay, a 504 plan is a plan that is designed to um, help children who do not have a specified learning issue, but they can meet the standard of building level support because their performance in school where it does not meet the criteria of a learning issue, they are having something that's interfering and undermining their academic performance. So everything is about layer, leveling that playing field. These children, unlike the children that are identified through an IEP and have a specified learning disability, uh, re will remain in the classroom will not be pulled out for services, will participate fully in the general education curriculum, but may have specific modifications such as extended time on a test, preferential seating, or the ability to get up and stretch and walk around if that is what they need. Mm. And then, um, uh, so, Another thing you mentioned that I thought was curious, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious on like the correlation, is with school suspensions. So you say school suspensions are on the rise, and what, why is that? School suspensions are on the rise because we have a disciplinary approach to, um, to working with our children as opposed to taking them and turning them into teachable moments. So um, children as young as kindergartners have been, um, there was a kindergartner that was suspended for calling his teacher a dumb bunny. Now clearly he heard that from his older brother or a second grader who on a beautiful spring day made a paper airplane um, that he had been shown how to do and proudly sailed it out the open window of school and was suspended because he, you can hurt someone if you throw something out the window. But instead of turning it around and making it a teachable moment, they actually suspended these children. And the message that is given is really horrendous. And as you get older and you're suspended and it goes on your record and you lose time at work and at school, then you're at a real disadvantage for re-entry. Um, we need to turn it around and make them teachable moments. So if the student um, defaced the school property, then he should have community service on the school grounds where he's helping to 
be proud of where he's going to school and is learning that it's important to be a community member, not to be one that defies the rules of that community. Mm. Yeah, I love that. because I think the same thing. It can always be like a learning moment and it doesn't have to be just, I feel like that's the whole kind of legal systems even set up that way where it's, you know, you do something bad, you get, you know, you go to jail, but it's like, well, how about like, let's potentially depending on what they did, right. Maybe help that person to understand what they did was wrong and help them to make it right. Rather than just be like, you're bad. See you you know, um, I couldn't agree more. There's just, there's definitely a better way of doing things. Um, so I wanted to ask this too, is there, as far as you know, I don't know if you know the scientific side of, of these uh, learning disorders, but is, has there been any like improvements in potentially cure it? Like can dyslexia be like cured or any of the other ones? Dyslexia is not something that's going to be cured. What happens is that uh, compensatory strategies kick in and uh, and people who have received intervention really have um, developed ways in which that whatever works for them. But the underlying reversals still exist. I'll give you an example. Uh, I recently was to meet a friend at a place that was called 1814 uh, Main Street. And I put it into my GPS and off I went. And I parked a car, it was a little bit further away, and I said, it doesn't matter, it's a nice night, I'll just take a night, I'll take a walk. And I got to 1814, and this was not the name of the restaurant. And I went inside and I asked, and they didn't have any idea where it was. And I started walking up and down the street. And indeed, it was not 1814, it was 1841. So even for those dyslexics, where um, years and years of success um, occur day in and day out, there are moments where you can be reminded that of being that first grade student in school. Mm. Got it. And another thing that uh, really caught my attention, because I think for some, this is natural and for others, it's, it's not. So for me, when I was younger, very just natural people person, right? I was friends with everybody. Um, hence, you know, the podcast, right? Because I'd love to just connect with people. So that's why I love to do this. Um, but I do recall when I was in school, there was a lot of students that were the opposite, right? Like very to themselves. So uh, one of the things you discuss is how to encourage children to foster relationships with their peers. So what is your kind of advice there? If, you know, somebody's child maybe is not creating relationships with any of their peers, how can they help promote that? All right. Parents, um, parents and educators are really so beneficial in this situation. And of course, so much of who we are um, is within us. And so it's hard to change the behaviors of who we are. But for these children, at least if they are young children, um, parents can encourage the play dates. And through the play dates, they can act as liaisons to help facilitate the play um, with games and with activities. And as they get older, as these children are older and they're on the school playground, then there needs to be strategies and 
um, in place that help them to learn how to go over to friends to join a kickball game, a hopscotch, box, um, box ball. It wouldn't matter. It's the children's playground is like an adult cocktail party. If you can envision on an adult cocktail party, we have three people chatting and a fourth person comes over to join in on that circle. First, the circle has to expand a little bit to even provide that fourth person space. And then that fourth person typically is quiet for a little bit, catching on to the conversation, listening to what's being said, looking at the social cues and the body language and trying to get the vibe and the rhythm of the conversation and then enters. Now, these, what I just described are all learned skills. So these children on the playground, this is what they need to do. And whether it takes play therapists or psychologists or parents or teachers to help them, all of this needs to occur in order to help bring someone out of their shell and into a relationship with friends. Mm. Yes. Um, so I want to also talk about this is, so the book, right? The title is The ABCs of Learning Issues. So um, a lot of our listeners are authors and or aspiring authors. So I always like to ask as well, um, not only the content inside the book, but how you actually created the book. So can you walk us through the process that you did from start to finish of writing the book? Absolutely. Uh, this book started as a, um, Uh, when I was working as a learning specialist in private schools and I was in the admissions department and the admissions department of these private schools would receive neuropsych evaluations and psychoeducational evaluations of children. And since I had a background in this, I was given these um, reports to read and asked to write a summary as to this child's social academic um, potential for being a candidate at the particular school. And there are indeed 24 common learning issues that transcend multiple, multiple times through formal assessments. And so once these candidates became students, we would introduce them the day before school started to our faculty. Johnny is a student who has these strengths and vulnerabilities. Mary is a student who you may exhibit seeing these tendencies. It'll be um, important to have this type of communication or effective um, teaching style using a multimodality approach with these students. So my book, The ABCs of Learning Issues, came from years of um, on-the-job training of seeing what were the most common learning issues, how could I help professionals to understand how to work with these children, and then stem it further to bridging the gap between the home and the school, and how can parents and educators and professional service providers partner together so that they can all help children reach their full potential. Mm. So um, 
look, I, I really appreciate you coming on. The last uh, question, really, I, I want the floor is yours. So if there's anything else that you, you want to cover, uh, feel free to say it. And then after that, I, I'd love to, uh, you know, re-mention the book. Where okay, the, um, the important thing for message to get out there, if your child has a learning issue, an intention issue, an anxiety issue, it's important for parents to understand they're not alone. It's also important for them to seek out the advice and counsel that they need so that they can develop strategies that will help their child to feel comfortable and secure. Uh, the uh, ABCs of Learning Issues is a, um, is a wonderful book for um, parents and professionals because it's not only a tool that helps them understand various learning issues and bridge the homeschool gap by demystifying areas of concern. It captures how parents and educators can work together, helping children reach their potential. Embedded in the book are sections that include how can parents uh, prepare for parent-teacher conferences. Uh, it provides letters that they can write, sample letters that will help them to say, dear principal so-and-so, I'm noticing the following things. What can I do to help? Um, it, it allows them to understand how they can modify their home to meet their child's learning needs. And it provides a glossary of terms that are used in the field of education so that when they go into the school, they can speak the same language as their teachers. Every industry has its own language and the field of education has it as well. It also provides a resource for parents on where can they go in their community, educational organization, and uh, resources that are available to help them because no parent should feel alone in the process of helping to raise and guide their children with learning attention or anxiety issues. Mm. Sorry, go ahead. And then I think um, uh, lastly, where what's your website and then where can people buy the book? Uh, the, uh, the book is available on amazon.com and through Barnes and Noble. And uh, on, in my book is a wonderful feature called um, Ask Dana. It is a confidential uh, component of my website, which allows parents to ask questions and voice their concerns where I can have a dialogue with them. And that they can reach at educationalalternativesllc.com slash educational dash advice. And for those where that was too long of a URL to process, just go to educationalalternativellc.com and you will find my website. Perfect. That's amazing that you do that. So I just want to say thanks for, for offering that. Um, so again, th thanks for coming on the show. I uh, learned a lot from it and um, we will be talking with you soon. So thanks again. Excellent. Tyler, thank you so much for having me today. I enjoyed it very much. And I know that your hope as well as mine is that we are able to go out into the community and help those families uh, work to, with their children. The Authors Unite show is sponsored by AuthorsUnite.com. Your one-stop shop for becoming a profitable author and maximizing your impact.